Good morning, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I welcome you to this day of worship, Sabbath, and celebration. As we edge ever more into the fall, we are reminded again that this is God's world, and for that, we give thanks. So I invite you to join us as we celebrate and worship today our God of joy, grace, and love. Come on in. Our first lesson is taken from Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city, it shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson, we are reading from Romans, that is Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We are in chapter 3, verses 19 through 28. And as I told the early service, there's a lot of stuff packed in here um, that's good to think about, but listen for the words grace and justification. Listen for the word of the Lord, Romans 3, 19 through 28. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for though the law comes, the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which we talked about during our confession time. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Or is it God, the God of Jews only? Is it not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one and he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith 
and the uncircumcised through that same faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I will begin since it's Halloween with a little scary story. Not too scary. It'll be okay in the end. So a young man, age 21, who is studying law, goes home to be with his family for a short period of time. This is pre-automobile, so he is on his horse. So he goes, as many of our students do, comes home, does his laundry, gets some good home-cooked meals, and then has to go back to his university. So he gets on his horse, and all is well. As he progresses through his journey, thank you, Mark, he notices that the clouds are beginning to form. And before long, the first drop falls. His trepidation builds as the clouds build, and the intensity of the rain builds and builds, and now it is full deluge. There is thunder, there is lightning, and he is on his horse. The horse looks up as if to say, can we stop? Is this the way that it has to be? But the young man continues. And in the midst of this violent storm that is encompassing this young man, a bolt of lightning shoots down and nearly hits him, knocking him off of his horse. Not the conversion of Paul. It makes us think of that, but it's not. And when he hits the mud, almost submerged in a puddle, the young man cries out to St. Anna to save him and makes a deal with God right there. Lord, if you will save me, I will enter the ministry and become a monk the rest of my life. So indeed, the young man was spared. Martin Luther got back on his horse and traveled to his university. Ever been there? Ever made a bargain with God in a vulnerable moment? Well, I guess the other way, has anybody not done that might be the more accurate way. You don't have to put your hands up. It's okay. Today is Reformation Sunday in addition to being Halloween. And in our church, that talks about our roots. So we are in the midst of our stewardship campaign. Last week and this week, we are focusing on our roots, where we've been that has gotten us to today. The next few weeks, we will be looking forward to where we are going and how we are growing. But today, thanks to Martin Luther, thanks to God for not hitting him with that lightning bolt, and on behalf of many other reformers, which I'll talk about momentarily, we are all sitting here in this place and in this configuration today. So let's back up a little bit and talk about Paul and Romans. So somebody quickly just give me a summation of what I said when I read the scripture. Ready, go. Good, good. Right, yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of theology. Romans is one of Paul's exquisite masterpieces. 
It is one of the works that really shaped the understanding for these new and young churches that Paul was founding and ministering to, what it meant to be a Christian. What does it mean that Christ was raised from the dead? And then what does it look like to practice that? And in this church in Rome, they're still dealing with Gentiles and Jews. And how do we bring both of those groups together to be just Christians, not one of the the other, but each of those coming from their own generational religions to now be Christians together? How does that work? Well, that's what Paul is trying to clarify. And this is one of the seminal scriptures in our Reformation. Again, I'll explain that in a little bit. Because it talks about being justified. It talks about grace. It talks about works and faith and how all of that comes together. So very quickly, I'd like to give you a little bit of history, and I will do it briefer than when I did a couple years ago, because who doesn't love a historical walk with just numbers and dates and activities? I know, I know, who wouldn't? So if we go all the way back to the beginning to trace our roots, and we'll get to the Reformation, we'll get to Luther, but to go back to the beginning, we are with Christ and Peter and the disciples, Matthew 16 A little before, a little after, verses 16. If you remember that conversation Jesus is having with Peter and the disciples, he says, who do they say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets reincarnated, not reincarnated, reborn. That's not us, that's somebody else. And Jesus says, yes, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, yes, Peter, yes. And just as we know, Peter sometimes gets it right and sometimes gets it wrong. And in the next couple of verses, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, but not yet here. Peter is on it and he gets it. And Jesus is affirming him where he says, you are so right. I'm changing your name, Simon, to Peter which means rock, Petra, the rock, and on you I will build my church. I will give you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. It really is an amazing moment in time. Peter is being set aside and Jesus saying, on you I'm gonna build my church. So if anybody ever tells you that the church was just something that power, wealth, hungry people put together, you say, nope, Jesus brought it into being because it's right here. And all those jokes about Peter at the gates to the pearly gates coming into heaven, this comes from this verse. I'm giving you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom and on you I will build my church and nothing will prevail against it. And I believe that. I don't think anything will be able to diminish or wipe out the church of Jesus Christ on this planet until Christ comes again, and that is a part of God's plan. It may shift, it may look differently, it may function differently, but God is too powerful and Christ is too powerful to be shut down. So from that moment, the idea of the church is formed 
And we know the rest of Jesus's ministry, the crucifixion, the resurrection, they're all there, those disciples. Then they see him ascend after he had been raised. Pentecost right after that, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon them, gives them their gifts, gives them their mission, and sends them out to the world. To build churches, well, it's what will become churches, but to build groups of believers and disciples. Why did they go out? How did they go out? Were they looking for power and money and status? Not then they weren't, because there was nothing. There was no church. There was nothing that would honor their commitment. They are only bringing hardship upon themselves and their families that would make it harder. Why did then did they go? Because they saw him. They saw him raised from the dead after he had been crucified. And so powerful was that, that these early disciples then went to tell others about it. If all of this had been made up, none of that would happen and we wouldn't be here today. But he rose, they saw him, they talked to him, they ate with him. He commanded them to go out to all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so they did. So the disciples fan out more. Paul starts his journeys to churches and places in that area, starting with synagogues usually in town, the Jewish gathering, and then trying to lead them to a Christian understanding. If we then fast forward, churches are starting to form, people are being converted, disciples are being made. And for the next several hundred years, the next 300 years exactly, the church is persecuted. Those who follow Christ are persecuted. Again, I say, if this was all nonsense, if none of this ever happened, how is the church in 300 years gonna survive and exist when the mighty Roman Empire just wants to destroy it and quell it and bring harm on anybody who dare speak the name of Jesus Christ? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. So we move to 300 and Constantine, emperor, one of the two emperors of the Roman Empire, is preparing for a battle at Milvian Bridge in Italy. He's battling Maxentius for Roman power, control. And the night before the battle, he sees a vision and he believes that Christ is telling him to put the symbol of the cross on the shield of every soldier in the battle and you will prevail. He did and they did. Constantine prevailed, they won the battle. And from that point forward, Constantine starts to change things for Christianity. The next year in 313, the Edict of Milan that Constantine put out was for religious tolerance. There'll be no more persecution of Christians. There'll be no more demeaning, defiling, harming anyone who claims Christ as Savior. 
And then later, 380, the emperor um, declared at that point that Christianity would be the religion of the empire. So it wasn't until 380 that Christianity was made the official religion. And think about that. The Roman Empire was everywhere. And everywhere they were, then Christianity was. And while it may not have been okay not to believe at that point in time, it still developed roots of Christianity around the world. So from that point on, I will fast forward all the way through other spread of Christianity around the world through the Great Schism in 1054, through the Crusades in 1099, through the Spanish Inquisition in the early 1400s, until we get to the Reformation. So back to our young man who had this conversion moment, Martin Luther. He did, in fact, enter the monastery and became a monk. And the more he learned, the more he wanted to learn. So at this point, he was studying. Well, he had studied, gotten his doctorate from the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and was now a professor there. And so what does he do? We know. He nails up what? His 95 Theses, right, on the front of the doors of the church. Why? Well, that was kind of a community board for the church family. For those coming and going, there was all kinds of material up, and this was just a place things were posted. Why on October 31st, 1517, why on Halloween did Martin Luther put this up? Well, because it was the All Saints service. So they knew, he knew a big crowd was coming to celebrate those who had died that year. We will be celebrating that next Sunday, All Saints Sunday. But he knew there'd be a big crowd. He put it all up and was credited with starting what we call the Reformation. He never meant to start a movement. He was a professor who wanted to have some debate, who wanted to have some dialogue to say, you know what, I'm not happy with these points in the Roman Catholic Church's operating processes and theology, and I think we need to talk about it. But in doing so, he was credited with kind of bringing all of the discontent in the city, in Europe, together to start what we call the Reformation. Now, the word reform is in that, the word Protestant, the Protestant Reformation. We are protesting and we are seeking to reform against what? Against what at that time was seen by those who reformed as uh, the Roman Catholic structure that they thought was not in accordance with Scripture and their understanding of God. Now, let me just say, we love our Roman Catholic friends. We've come a long way since then. We are all a part of God's family. But the reasons they separated, uh, Vicki listed some of those. Before Bibles were translated into languages people could see and understand, it was in Latin and only the leaders could read and tell you what it was. You think it's hard to pay attention now what if I was speaking a language you didn't speak? What if in reading scripture, 
I'm reading a language you don't speak. How in the world can you understand anything? Well, they didn't. And so our reformers thought that there was too much focus on too few people leading. And so they swung the other way. And in our Presbyterian system, it is rooted in the session that is elected from the congregation. All those jokes about how many Presbyterians it takes to change a light bulb, well, you have to form a committee. And yeah, well, and that's basically right, too. We do it in groups. It is not all the power amassed in the pastor or some hierarchy. We don't have bishops. We don't have priests. We don't have individuals making decisions for large groups of churches. That's our presbytery, but they do that in a group, and we are represented at presbytery. So you see how we kind of swung the other way. It is access to God not only through Scripture, but to pray directly to God was something that the reformers thought we should be able to do. The big thing, the indulgences that really set off Martin Luther, that was, as I've said before, the greatest fundraiser in the history of the church. Why? Because you pay to get in the fast lane to heaven. Fantastic. Come on, let's send the the plates around. I can get you there, depending on how much your pledge is. And so again, Martin Luther lists out some of these protests and thoughts that he wants to lift up. And in doing so, again, he begins a movement that had already been in process in different places and just helped it get started. One of the things that really helped him was the printing press. Others have tried before to lift up some of these, these ideas that needed to be changed or reformed, but got no traction. Why? Well, there was no internet, there was no phone, there was no television, there was no way to quickly distribute information about anything from anybody. But with a printing press that Luther fully took advantage of, he could write pamphlets and books, and he did. So they could take it to places uh, big and small, countryside cities, as, as much as he could. So as we move then through the Reformation, um, the founding fathers we give credit for, John Calvin in our church. John Calvin was French, a French lawyer. Also, once he was excommunicated, left France, went to Geneva, Switzerland, excuse me, Geneva, Switzerland, and started to put together a new idea for this kind of reformed worship and way of living, even schools and government. And Geneva said, nope, we don't like that, kicked him out. Went to Strasbourg, Germany, was the pastor of a refugee church. Then Geneva invited him back. I know this is stimulating and riveting. Stay with me, friends. So it's this second time that Calvin starts to write his Institutes of Christian Theology, that he starts to develop an understanding of what we would come to be our system of government, our polity, even our worship. And so Geneva, Switzerland becomes a hub for all of those who have been kicked out of other decent, respected countries because of their faith. So one of those people that met with Calvin is John Knox who has a great and colorful history, his own self, and he is from Scotland. 
And so Calvin and Knox study together. Knox takes some of these new understandings back to Scotland, founds the Church of Scotland, and Presbyterianism takes root there. Now, from there, Mary, Queen of Scots, is is persecuting them to a certain degree. So they start to move from Scotland to Ireland, the Ulster region, Northern Scotland, and from there to the United States. And once in the United States, they came in the East Coast. They started the first presbyteries. First presbytery was Philadelphia. States like uh, Maryland and New York and New Jersey and South Carolina and even Georgia all in those original Presbyterian groups. Then the next couple hundred years saw Presbyterianism flourish, saw many splits. What? Not our people. The church will come together, the church will split. The church will come together, the church will split. Over theology, over current events, over this, over that. We get to the Civil War, they split over that and developed a northern and southern stream of the Presbyterian church. Get through the ordination of women, some split in division there. Until 1983, dear friends, when the Presbyterian church reunited and the vote was taken where? Right here. Now, it wasn't finalized here, but this was the vote that sent it back to the presbyteries for vote that reunited and formed the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. And we have been um, united ever since, officially. So my point is that the roots that we have that have delivered us here today go from way back. Included in that journey is the original plot of land given in the early 1800s with some of the other chartered churches to begin a faith community, hopped around a little bit, but took root here. This church has been through ups and downs and celebrations and fires and splits and all kinds of crazy things. but the powers of darkness have not prevailed against it. We are still here. And those are the roots that we celebrate in addition to the roots of grace that Paul is trying to teach the Romans about. Can you work your way into heaven? No. Grace is given as a gift. You don't deserve it, neither do I. But because we get it, we live our lives in thanksgiving, doing good works for God to build the kingdom so that others know of God's love and peace and hope and joy and grace and resurrection, all of those things to be Christ's people here. It is rooted in Christ and Christ's resurrection grace and rooted in our tradition from that first conversation Jesus has with Peter that has brought us here today. All of those doers, all of those faithful people from the original 12 through 
those in our early church rests with us today. How do we respond to that? Do we, are we ambivalent about where we are and where we want to go? Or can we find some passion that says God has a plan for us then, now, and in the future? Because this is our call today to say thank you to God for grace and to say thank you to God for this church family that God is still present in and has a plan for. And the way for that to continue to grow the way that we want it to is for us to be involved and respond with our time, with our talents, and yes, even with our treasure. Because all of those things are gifts from God.